read these just individually. I'm just letting today unfold. I'll just let you know that as we go. There's something in my heart that I just felt like in my heart as I prayed that I didn't need to come today with a point A, point B, point C, point D sermon. I didn't need to bring that to you. I just needed to let some things uh, just kind of open up and just allow the Holy Spirit to take some things that could be stored up within all of us that could uh, that the Holy Spirit could bring forth today. So I just want to ask you to pray with me before we go to this first text, if you would. And, and we're just going to open the scriptures today. Father in heaven, we humble ourselves. We're so thankful to be in your presence. I look across this congregation. What a vast congregation today. And what a beautiful group of men and women today whose heart is set after yours. God, many of these are longtime members and adherents today. And I recognize that and recognize them and their faithfulness to this house and to what we do by reading the scriptures together. Some of them are new today, Father. They're visitors. They have come here as a result of an invitation with a friend or they're just here because they're in a season in their life when they need something, Father. God, I remember, Father, in the name of Jesus, when Jesus reproved Martha because of her uh, desiring things that were not necessarily born of the kingdom. And Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Mary hath chosen that good thing, the needful thing, and it will not be taken away from her. So God, they may have come here today with everything else going on in their life, but in this moment they've chosen the right thing, God. They've chosen to be in your presence, to hear your word, to be challenged, to be taught, to be built up, to have an opportunity to pray. God, so today I have full expectation. My heart has been filled with faith today for this service. So I'm praying, God, open every one of our eyes, our ears, and our heart, and our thoughts. Let us value what we do and what we hear today, God, and let it stir us in the direction that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and all of God's children said, amen and amen, and thank you so much, and you can be seated today. As you've been journeying, many of you have been journeying with me together and we've been reading some familiar, what might be familiar passages of Scripture, especially initially as we are in the Gospels, having began this particular type of uh, Bible reading plan in the Gospel of Matthew and it's reading it consecutively from Matthew 1 all the way to the end of the book of Revelation. You found yourself, Father, we probably have found ourselves being, you know, brought back thoughts from the past of passages and looking at things and that we have looked at previously and now we're looking at them again. And then for some who are definitely new to the Bible reading, then you're at that place where the, it's all new to you. It's just all just this whole new spance and sometimes it's a little bit intimidating to you. And I'm going to hopefully address some of that here in just a little while. But I want you to go as we're going to unlock just a little bit of a passage of Scripture. It's in Matthew's Gospel. It's the 22nd chapter. It's the last week of his life, Jesus' life. During this time period, Jesus is facing a lot of conflicting situations for the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin council as well, had come together to find a way to catch Jesus in his words. They wanted to catch him in something where he would say something against the law of Moses. So if they could twist something or tweak it or put him in a situation where he might say something that they could actually audibly hear, then they could rightfully accuse him before the council, subsequently rightfully accuse him before uh, Pilate as they 
ultimately did, but they couldn't find. Remember, the Bible tells us in Matthew 27, they sought for false witnesses but could find none. Ultimately, they had to just bribe somebody to stand up and say some things. And remember what he kind of was being brought to trial over was we heard him say that if you destroyed this temple in three days, he would build it again. I mean, no, he wasn't lying. Come on. Because in three days he did rebuild it. And so all throughout those passages, they were trying to catch him in his words. Well, here's when the Sadducees, who differed distinctly different in their doctrine from the Pharisees, the Pharisees believed in the resurrection and the Sadducees did not. And so they are trying to catch him in a word play as well. And so they put him in this particular instance and said, and, and even though I'm not really looking at the context today, but it's important that we just kind of read it to set. I want you to see what Jesus' response, his rebuttal, if you will, the 23rd verse. Because I think that needs to be, uh, it, it needs to stimulate something in our heart today. The same day they came to the Sadducees, which said there is no resurrection. So they asked him. They put this little parable, Jesus taught parable. So now they're putting a parable on him, saying, Master Moses said, if a man die having no children, so they know what the scripture says, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. But now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto her brother, likewise the second, subsequently through the seventh, and last of all, the woman died. Therefore, in the resurrection, 28th verse, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. And Jesus answered. Now I want to skip the 29th verse for a moment, and I want to come back when he's actually addressing the resurrection. Here he's speaking to their unbelief of the resurrection, and he's bringing clarification to the resurrection for their asking about how they're going to be when they are marrying in the resurrection. And he, Jesus is responding, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but as the angels of God. So I'm sorry to everybody that ha may have some doctrine of uh, not, not Jehovah's Witness, but give me the other uh, cult that I'm thinking of today, Joseph Smith, Mormonism. I'm sorry. There's not going to be celestial marriage and no celestial sex. I'm just letting you know that. Jesus said, in the resurrection, we're going to neither marry nor be given in marriage, but we're going to be as the angels of God in heaven. That's what he said. Come on. Amen. Now the 31st verse, but it's touching the resurrection of the dead. Have you not read? They had read it, but they weren't understanding it. That which was spoken unto you by God himself saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Come on. So when he was saying that, it wasn't in past tense, in essence, as to be the God of Abraham before me. And so when the multitude heard that, they were astonished at his doctrine. And so will you and I be astonished at his doctrine. If we will open our heart up and allow him to speak to us because he came to unveil some things for us concerning the Father. But it's this 29th verse that just in the King James English smites me and I think it should awaken us as a generation. For here Jesus said in response to the parable that they had put in front of him to try to catch him in his words and in his doctrine, Jesus said to them, you do err. You do err or you are in error right here because of this reason right here. You don't know the scriptures. Now, the reason why I wanted to kind of connect with that is because I have found that in the areas of my life that give me trouble, the areas of my life where I have stumbled, it would be in the area where I have not acutely uh, and adequately and effectively searched the scriptures and applied the antidote. The scriptures hold for us life. 
In John 6 and 63, Jesus said this, The flesh profits nothing. There's no good, no value. You are a triune being made in the likeness and the image of God. Addressed two weeks ago, but we will reaffirm this morning that you are a physical, you have a physical body, but you are pneuma, you are breath. You are the breath of God. God sent his spirit into your spirit crying, Father, Father, and you've been joined to him. You have a soul, a mind, will, and emotion, and you live in a body. Jesus said, "My," he said, your flesh profits nothing. He said, it is the spirit that gives life. King James says, quickens. The, the, the interpretation is it gives life. The spirit brings life to us. And then Jesus said this. He put the addendum to that. He said, and my words that I say unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Hebrews 4 and 12 says the word of God is quick and powerful. The word quick means to make alive. The word of God is living and active. The word of God is living. It is the expression of the heart and the mind of God. When you go to the scriptures, you're not reading an antiquated book. You are reading the living word of Almighty God. It's just as relevant today as it was when it rolled off of the lips of God when he gave it. Come on, somebody. And it will be just as relevant when the heavens have been folded up like a scroll and when the earth has been renovated, the Word of God will live and abide forever. The Word. So therefore, you and I find ourselves, if we err, we err because we don't know the Scriptures. Well, how are we going to correct that? We're going to have to read it and to study it. Let me give you twofold. The apostle Paul wrote to Timothy and he addressed both issues. He said this in the third chapter of the second epistle, till I come, give attendance to reading. We addressed this Wednesday night. Most probably he was, a, he was speaking of the public reading of scripture for he was addressing a people group that were not as privileged as you and I are because we have our own personal copy of the word of God. He was speaking to a congregation saying, Timothy, the people that come don't have their own copy of the Word of God. So when you get them there, don't bore them with rhetoric. Don't confuse them with, uh, with the, the philosophies of men, but you read the Word of God to them. Because in reading the Word of God, faith cometh by hearing. So now the audible Word of the Word of God that's been captured on paper is being spoken audibly. The people are listening with their ear. And so therefore God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. But faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Paul said it is the Word of faith which we speak. And when we speak the Word, when we read the Word and you hear the Word, it creates faith in your heart and you believe God. So we read. So now you and I are this privileged generation so we can read the word. So we can read it in general to which I'll allude more in just a few moments. But then he also told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So now therefore it's conferred upon us in our generation. We have a dual responsibility. Again, readdressed on Wednesday night. We read for breath and width but we study for height and depth. Does that make sense? We, we read to broaden so that we can become more familiar with the text, with the Word of God. It's not going to arbitrarily happen until you put yourself in a situation where you value what's in this Word and you know that its value will not be unlocked until what's in the Word is in your heart and you begin to read it, and from reading, the Holy Spirit quickens something inside of you, and then you become more diligent, and you begin to study it, and when you study it, you begin to unlock the mysteries that are contained therein. 
Hallelujah. And there's much mystery contained therein of the heart and the mind and the will and the plan and the purposes of God. Things that were hidden in Christ are, ma- are now being made known by his holy apostles and prophets. And you or I are that privileged generation to be able to see and contemplate of the mysteries of Christ. So we do err if we're not in the scriptures. If we do not know the scriptures, we are in error. Let's turn over again to another place. Matthew chapter 13 for just a moment. It's, a, it's a, a, not necessarily possibly a parable. It would be if it is a parable, the eighth parable in a chapter of parables that began with the parable of the soils that's in Matthew 13. Also, it's in Mark 4 and also in Luke as well. The parable of the soils, but it wasn't just here, but he continued in parables all the way until he actually had time alone with his disciples after he had shared these seven parables that had been previously mentioned here because we're going to be in the 51st verse and we're going to just look at these two verses of Scripture here for just a moment. Jesus said unto them, Have you understood all these things? Now think about this for just a moment. Jesus had put out parables that confused the multitude. And at times it even confused his disciples. The very passage, they found themselves confused, especially about the parable of the tares. And so they asked Jesus later about it privately. Jesus uh, connected the parables to the prophecy of Isaiah that he would teach in parables that people who were blinded by their own religion would see and not understand, hear and not understand because they had chosen religion over humbling themselves and being drawn into a true relationship with God through Christ. And people still will do that today, right? right? And you and I have to guard ourselves from that every day of our lives because we want to be drawn into truth. John 8 and 31 says that if we continue in his word, we will know the truth. And what? The truth will make us free. But it's dependent upon if you just go back. You got to continue in it to know it. You've got to continue to look into the perfect law of liberty. Because James said, if you fail to continue to look in the perfect law of liberty, you will go your way and you'll forget what manner of man that you are. That's why we find ourselves in sinful situations because we're not continuing in the perfect law of liberty. Because when you're continuing in the perfect law of liberty, you realize and you know, I am the redeemed of the Lord. I know that I am made an overcomer through Christ Jesus. I know that I am, I used to be, I used to be a foreigner to the covenant promises of God, but now I'm a fellow citizen with the saints and I am of the household of God. I know that I'm a son or daughter of Abraham according to faith. I recognize these things by virtue of the revelation that I have in the word of God. And if I look into that perfect law, then I don't forget what manner of man that I am. And I continue to live and to do and to breathe and to move in him. And I bear fruit because he's working in me both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I'm not conformed to this world, but I'm transformed by the renewing of my mind. I'm studying that I might be approved unto God. You have a need, you have something, you need an answer. You can look to me in one instance. I'm saying this just symbolically we have to be able to give answer to the hope that lies within us and when we've not studied the word of God then we are ashamed and we don't have the answers that people are looking for but when we are studious of the word of God I have no problem with somebody saying to me pastor how may I find eternal life I can tell you somebody says pastor how can I find a covenant that gives me promises I can tell them because I've studied the word how about you So Jesus teaches these parables, and then he asks them this question. He said, unto his disciples. Now remember, this now has transitioned from the disciples to, or from the 
the, the multitude to the disciples, and he said, Have you understood all these things? And they are lying to him. For they said, Yes, Lord. But at that moment, they didn't understand. They didn't understand all things just yet, did they? It was a progressive revelation that was still being made in their life that would ultimately come with the coming of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit was given, there was an unveiling of those great mysteries in their life. But Jesus said, and he recognized them, he knew the sincerity of their heart, that they desired to understand these things, and they wanted to understand these things. And in the 52nd verse, notice this. He said unto them, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of God is like unto a man that is a householder. First of all, a scribe in the culture of that day would have been one that had actually been given to the preservation of the scriptures, the copying of the scriptures, so that the scriptures could be maintained in their purest form. We were privileged in our trip with Dr. Brassfield when we went to Israel. We had gone up into, uh, what was the name of the mount where we were at, up high up on the mount? Masada. Masada. We were high up on Masada. And we saw a glass enclosure and there was a, a, a Jewish rabbi, if we would use those terms, biblical terms. I know it's not the same for us today. He was there in prayer shawl and he was meticulously copying the Hebrew scriptures letter for letter, jot and tittle, exactly as it was. And that would have been a scribe of that generation. And so Jesus is now referring to his disciples and saying that every scribe that's instructed into the kingdom of God, which they, he in essence was applying that label to them and saying, you are being instructed in the kingdom of heaven. Here's what you're like. You're like a man that is a householder. Now notice this, that you will then therefore bring forth out of your treasure things new and things old. So I want to talk about that for just a moment and the value of the context of hiding the scriptures in your heart, the householder. The householder is one that will have been the master of his house. So you can put that on the first person basis. That's you. That's your own, uh, who you are. That's your own little world in which you live and dwell and abide in. We can take another step towards the church and say over this church, I as a pastor, our pastoral staff that join with me in this, we're householders in essence, that we are leaders over this particular body. He is saying that if you're instructed in the kingdom of heaven, then you will be like that householder that brings out of your treasure things new and things old. And so for just a moment of time when we think this and put this in the context of the scriptures, when you first think of this passage and say, okay, so if David said, I will hide the word in my heart that I will not sin against God, then I will contemplate of the covenant in which we live. We have a new and an old covenant. Then perhaps here Jesus is speaking of that you will bring out of the treasure, out of the storehouse of your heart, both the Old and the New Testament. That's kind of what it looks like on the surface level, but it's really not its first uh, and it's deepest application if I can bring clarification to you for just a moment. In essence what the writer here is saying conferring to us the words of Jesus that as you become a scribe in the kingdom of heaven and you become taught in the kingdom of heaven that those things that you hear, those things that you read and those things that you study will get lodged where? Down in your heart and in your mind. Are y'all with me? Those things that you read, those things that you study, those things that you contemplate on, those things that you will meditate upon will get lodged down in your heart and in your mind. And that God will anoint you as a householder to bring forth both new and old truth. 
Not just the covenants, because consider this with me, if you will, for just a moment. Even though we look to the Old Testament, the 39 books, and we look to the New Testament, actually the new preceded the old. Because before Moses ever came down Mount Sinai with the law of commandments, Jesus said, before your father Abraham was, I am. He was the son of God, the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. And we even find the covenant of grace, a blood covenant ratified by the eternal blood of Jesus Christ foreshadowed in the genesis of time when God took the sin of Adam and covered it by the slaying of an animal and hid his nakedness and as it would foreshadow the death of Jesus Christ. So before the old was the new. So in essence what he's saying is it will be truth that God will reveal both new truth to you out of both the old and the new. And once it's new to you, it will be in your heart, and one day that new truth will be familiar truth. And then the Holy Spirit who resides on the inside of you will give you an ability that in the issues of life that we all face, that whenever you're going through the, the trying seasons that we're living in today, the Holy Spirit within you will draw out of your historical studies and your present studies things new and things old. He will take the old and make them new. They'll be fresh, but they'll still be familiar. There'll be things that you read about long years ago and the Holy Spirit will quicken these things inside of you and they will bring life to you. The Word of God has the ability again to give us life. But if you don't hide it in your heart, then you'll not find that life. But as we hide it in our heart, then the Holy Spirit will bring it out, familiar truths and new truths. Let me give you one example before I turn this and head it really down the stretch where I want you to begin to see with me. One other passage that's come to us in our, in our readings that we've had this past week. Turn with me to one last place I'll probably have you turn to here today. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15. I did not have them put that on the screen. So I want you to follow it with me for just a moment, if you will, for just a moment. Old and familiar truths. That passage of Scripture. I'm going to step down because I want to get into this vein for just a moment. I may not read it, but I may just refer to it. It's a passage of Scripture with the healing of what's known as the Syrophoenician woman's daughter. Now, Jesus has found himself fatigued from ministry. And if you have ever been in ministry, you understand the fatigue that could come along beside of it. It's not only uh, physical fatigue, but it's emotional fatigue. And it's spiritual fatigue. T.D. Jake said it this way. He said, you come here empty, I come full. You go away full and I go away empty. Okay, there's a fatigue. There's an emotional and a spiritual and not only a physical fatigue. Jesus found him fatigued, found himself fatigued. But a woman had traveled a long way from the coast of Phoenicia. It would be the northern, north of the, north, the Israelic border. She's come down. She's got a great need. She's motivated by need. How many of you know need will motivate you to come to God at seasons in your life when arbitrarily you may have been apathetical and not come to him? But when your need gets great enough, how many know God can turn need to a good thing in our life to help us? Come on, are y'all with me out there? So she's found out something. I mean, her daughter is grievously tormented by a devil. What does that mean? Grievously tormented by a devil. Does that mean she foams at the mouth? 
Does that mean that she cuts herself? Does that mean that she hides herself in her back bedroom? That she listens to all kinds of crazy music? That she has uh, uh, vulgar posters on her wall? What does that mean? Does that mean that she's given to drug culture? She's got an addiction? Does that mean that, that she uh, shuns her, her, her mother and won't have anything to do with her? What does that mean? I don't know what that means. It just means that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and to destroy. The enemy wants to come against your family. The enemy always targets the weaker ones. And if he can gain access to your family through even one of your children, he will. And he's tormenting the whole household as a result of this daughter. And the violent mom, she couldn't do anything else about it. And so she came and she said, I've heard about this rabbi who's going around Israel and he's healing and casting out devils. Now, in your studies recently in this past week, you remember one of the first things that Jesus did was cast the devil out of a man at Capernaum. And when he did, he did it with authority. He didn't treat it. He didn't medicate it. He didn't ask everybody to pray. He didn't call the prayer chain. He looked at the tormented man and he said, Satan, I adjure thee, come out of him. And he came out that very hour. And when he did, all the people were astonished because they had never heard it done that way before. They had never heard somebody move in the realm of the spirit with a word in their heart that even the devils, even the devils had to respond to him. And so that word began to be noised abroad throughout Israel and the coast beyond Israel that somebody was functioning at a level previously unseen and unknown in the earth before. The unseen realm of demonic spirits has now been addressed by the bright light of the glory of God. The light is shining into the darkness and the darkness is not overtaken. I saw Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold I give you power to cast out unclean spirits, to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil for we wrestle not with flesh and blood but against principality and power and against the, uh, the evil spirits that are hid in high places but you are to not fear, back up or retreat. Draw the line in the sand, lift up your voice full of the word of God and cast those devils down. That's what Jesus was doing. And I'll tell you what, it was sending a revival out. And so people were coming. And so she comes with this great need. Her daughter is tormented by the devil. When she first comes to Jesus, Jesus, now this is where I don't understand fully the reason why. We can say he was testing her or we can simply say that there was a covenant reason why he did not immediately respond to her. Because when she made her first petition, when she made her first petition, the Bible says he answered her, not a word. How many know that's the most frustrating place to be in your Christianity? When you've got a great need and you've gone to God and you're sobbing and you're pouring your heart out and you're longing for something and you can't get a breakthrough. You can't get anything. It's not like anything is responding at all. And so then she did what so many others do when she doesn't find her victory in her personal petition. She turns to the church expecting us to put everything back together. She turned to the disciples and she came after the disciples. And finally when they couldn't have any more of it, they came into the house where Jesus was resting and said to, to Jesus and said, can you please deal 
with this woman because she will not leave us alone. You're laying in here on the bed, resting and relaxing, but we are outside and she is troubling us. She's frantic. She won't leave us alone. And we just, you're going to have to respond. And so they bring her into Jesus and they have a meeting there together. And that's where Jesus makes uh, the first of all, when they brought her in, though, she fell at his feet. King James English, 15th chapter, Matthew. She fell at his feet and she worshiped him. You know, that's one of the reasons why I'm unlocking a lot of things in just a brief, short period of time for you. That's why worship is so important to you. I know the word worship there means she reverenced him and she fell down before him. But I tell you what, there's a submission and a brokenness that can happen only through worship. When you just humble yourself, no questions, no demands. No, this I want, it's just brokenness. And you just humble yourself before him. And he said this to her, and I tell you, and you've looked at this passage of scripture before, and you've seen this, and it's caused your attention, and you took offense at it, because she probably took a little bit of offense at it. He said, it is not meat that I would take the children's bread and give it to the dogs, King James English. In essence, what Jesus is saying is, I'm a Jew, you're a Gentile. As a Jew, we are heirs to the covenant promises of Israel. We are descendants of Abraham. God made a covenant with Abraham. God then ratified that covenant with Moses, and certainly it was first given by the sign of circumcision, but it's also given by the receiving of the law of commandments. For when God did sprinkle the book and all the people, he was bringing all the people into covenant with the book. Are you all with me? He was bringing the people into covenant with the book. And so, therefore, he was saying, I'm a Jew, you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. The covenant promises belong to those that are in the covenant household of Israel to which you are not. It is not reason, he said, therefore, that I should take the children's bread and give that unto the dogs. Now, in essence there, because Gentiles were known as dogs to us, and we've looked at this in the Greek, many have, and seen that the word there it could actually be also translated puppies and means the little dogs or the little puppies. And it's not as harsh as it may seem to us when we first read it. Because when you first read that, that kind of just says, Jesus is calling this woman with this great need a dog. And that's not the image that you have of Jesus, is it? But I will say this, he will say and do whatever he has to to extract faith from you. <coughs> Because God does not, he does not respond, he does not respond simply to your need, nor does he respond to your pitiful cry. He responds to your faith. Faith moves God. Oh, y'all hearing what I'm saying? I said faith moves God. And so he will do or say whatever he needs to, to get a response of faith out of you. And so when Jesus said to her, he said, it's not reason that I should take the loaf that belongs to the children. And I believe in that moment that loaf represented the word of God. And which was also commemorated oftentimes through the Hebrew feast of the Feast of Weeks or the Pentecost week. Because on the, on the Feast of Pentecost, they would come in because that was to be 50 days after Passover and they would celebrate it before God by the holding up of two loaves. And those two loaves would be symbolic of the Word of God and they would wave it before God. And so Jesus is saying, these covenant promises are here and they are in the Word. And he said, and that, that bread belongs to the children of God. And she said, truth, Lord, truth, Lord. I understand that. She said, but even the little dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. 
Now, when she said that, and maybe you're missing the full content of what's uh, being revealed in that passage, that we got to grasp it today and see it, if we can, for just a moment. When Jesus heard that, he said, Woman, for this saying, for this saying, for this saying, your daughter is made whole. And the Bible says that that devil left. Now, isn't that a revelation of how demonic spirits can be, un an assignment can be unlocked by an alignment to the Word of God? Several years ago, I heard a sermon by, once again, T.D. Jakes, preached at Rod Parsley's church in Columbus, Ohio, and to which he alluded to this passage. And it's that that I want to talk about for just a moment and correspond it with a couple of things. And then we're going to close in one uh, moment where we're just in unity together to the Word of God. Remember, if you're a scribe and you're a householder, you will bring out of your spirit, you'll bring out of the heart, out of your treasure, both things new and things old. Some things are new, some things are familiar, but it's all good because it's blessed of God. It is the word of Almighty God hidden on the fleshly tablet of your heart for you to read and meditate and ponder and get it and make it a part of you, knowing that your life will be radically altered when you learn to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. For in the flesh you, sa you satisfy the desires of the flesh, but in the spirit you do mortify the desires of the flesh. You put them to death, and you can live and move in the earth without condemnation, without grief and without all the travail that's going on that's in this world that we live in today, we can have joy unspeakable and full of glory because of the peace and the power of God that's working within our lives, right? Because we're walking in the Spirit. So these things are in us. If you've ever read them, they're in you. If you've ever studied them, they're hidden inside of you. And if you'll get in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will search your heart and He will draw them out of you at the right time. Now, in this passage of Scripture, as C.D. Jakes was unlocking this, he was saying, consider with me for just a moment, every ingredient that is in the loaf, every ingredient that is in the loaf, when you bake bread, every ingredient that's in the loaf is in the crumb. Now, y'all got to catch hold of what I'm saying. Because, see, you think for just a moment that you can't fight the devil because you don't know the whole book from Genesis to Revelation. But all the power of God is in the crumb. Come on, it's in the crumb. Everything that's in here, when it's broken off, the life of it is in the crumb. And so that passage of Scripture that they taught you in Sunday school that you just thought was just a trivial passage teaching children is now in your heart and all the life and the power and the potential that's in the Word of God is in the crumb, and at the right time, at the right moment, in the right circumstance, the Spirit of God can reach deep down on the inside of you and bring that treasure forth out of your treasure house. And some things new and some things old. Some things familiar, some things unfamiliar. Sometimes it's a verse I've looked at time and time again, but all of a sudden the Spirit of God will twist it just a little bit. And when he does, that old thing became new to me all over again, and it lifted my heart and my countenance. And sometimes I'm reading a passage that I scratched my head and thought and never had the breakthrough on. And then all of a sudden, it's as if God parts the heavens and quickens that word in my heart. And I see what has been previously hidden from my eyes. And when that happens, oh, how it brings life. 
say, Pastor, are you really this excited about the Word? I'm just this excited about the Word of God. I'm more excited about you getting in the Word than I am you coming to church. I'm more excited about you getting the Word inside of you than you giving in the altar or in the offer. I'm more excited about the Word getting inside of you because once this Word gets inside of you and it's sold in good ground, it will bring forth a 30 and a 60 and a 100-fold return. You'll begin to change from the inside out. You won't be changed by the church from the outside in, but you'll be changed by the Word from the inside out. The way you used to live will be uh, you will walk differently. The way you used to talk, you will talk differently. The way you used to think You will think differently. You will not allow the thoughts in your mind that you're allowing right now. Because when you got the word inside of you, you will learn to judge those thoughts. When I have a thought pass through my mind that I have enough knowledge of the word of God to discern that it is either unbelief, immoral, unholy, or condescending, or condemning in nature, it is not born of God, then I cast it down by virtue of the word of God. For Philippians 4 said, think on these things that are pure, just, holy, that bring forth virtue and bring forth life. And that's what we must do as we grow in the Word of God. And so over the last few two Sundays, my desire as a pastor has been to stimulate you in your faith to get this Word inside of you. Come on, somebody. Daryl, join me on the platform real quickly today. We're going to close in just a few moments. Sit right at the 12 o'clock hour. Out of your treasure house will come both things new and things old. And God will breathe upon it and it will quicken your life. Last week as I prepared to close the sermon, I found myself at a little bit of a stumbling block. And I wasn't able to connect to some of the things that I wanted to connect to. But I want to do that in dismissal today, conclusion today, if I can. I just think there's such a mystery in the word. I think that as you familiarize yourself with the Word, as you begin to study the Word and diligently give your heart to it, and you have to do it. Nobody can do it for you, right? I mean, and I know it's our responsibility to teach our children, but we also have to get them to a place where they have to then step up. Come on and begin to read and listen. And, and, and when, when JoJo's teaching and back there, kids, get off your cell phones. Come on. Don't try to fool them thinking, you're, oh, I got the Scripture here. We know you can turn that app on and off real quickly. Come on, and you're texting is what you're doing. Come on, you're missing a moment to get the Word inside of you. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Listen, I want to be known as somebody that knows the Word. The Word is hidden inside my heart. I meditate upon it, think about it, ponder it. Last week as I closed, I was using this analogy, and I'd like to bring it up in closing again today for I find uh, still a revelation that was un fulfilled last week that I think it would behoove us to do if we can I think two things can happen to you first of all as you general as you read in scripture remember this the life is in the crumb so in essence the the life is in the loaf but the life is in the crumb so I believe in two things I believe in reading generally but I also believe in target reading and I'm going to take and talk to you in a moment about target reading but I want to, in, in closing today, but I also just want to remind you, you may have a, 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 a situation in your life that you're going through right now and you haven't really addressed it yet and found it or whatever, but you're over here reading in the book of Leviticus 
And all of a sudden, while you're just in the middle of reading the book of Leviticus, God quickens something in your heart, brings a peace upon you, and produces a change. What is that? That's the life that's in the loaf is in the crumb. So you may be needing healing in your body, and you're reading the begats. So-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and all of a sudden, the promise of Exodus 15 and 26, I am the Lord thy God that healeth thee. The promise of the Psalm 102, verse 3, where he said that you are healed, that's your covenant benefit, forget not all of his benefits, that he forgives all of your iniquities and he heals all of your diseases. The covenant promise of 107th Psalm, to which I alluded to earlier, the 20th verse, he sent his word and he healed them and delivered them of their destructions. Or Matthew 8 and 17, he bore our infirmities and carried our sicknesses. Or Isaiah 53 in verse number 6, by whose stripes ye were healed. Or 1 Peter 2 and 24, who bore our sicknesses and sins on the cross and by his stripes we were healed a finished work and you're reading the begats and the life of the whole is in the crumb and it flows out of you and quickens your mortal body and makes you whole glory to God you can't get that out of an aspirin you can't get that out of a prescription from anywhere from any doctor that comes from the great physician his word doeth good like a medicine to all my flesh Jeremiah said, Thy word is the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. I rejoice at thy word as a man that findeth great spoil. When you get a quickened word in your heart, I'm telling you it will be better for you than if Publishers Clearinghouse showed up at your door. They can show up at your door and give you a treasure that can fade and change in a moment. But if God the Holy Ghost writes a word on your heart, it's a treasure that the world can't take from you. Come on, somebody. The world didn't give it to you, the old song said, and the world can't take it away. And so we read in general because as I read in general, the life of the loaf is in the crumb. And so I can be reading a passage of Scripture that has nothing to do with my lifestyle or situation, and God the Holy Ghost quickens it in my heart. And it produces a change in me. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. My life is transformed into the image of him who called us and loved us and freely gives us now even all things because of his great love wherewith he loved us. God has commended his love towards you and I that while we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. And that can be quickened to us at any moment. General reading. General reading is important. If you're not doing this with us, you should be. Come on, you should be. Because we're going to talk about some things each week that will unify our hearts. Secondly, closing today, I also believe in target reading. Do you believe in target reading? That means if I got a situation in my life before I call anybody to counsel with, come on, before I ask for a prayer request, why can't I go to the Word for an answer from God? Why can't I begin to search and study and find that there is a promise for every area of my life contained in the Word of God? Are y'all with me today? Listen, I'm telling you, this is more than philosophy. Paul warned, do not. He said, he said, don't allow men to rob you through vain philosophy, traditions, and doctrines of men. Don't allow it to happen. Don't let anybody, anything, or religion rob from you the life that comes through Christ that's revealed to us in the Word of God. 
So go learn to go to the Word of God. When you go to the Word of God, you will study those words. You will get those words down inside of you. And when they get down inside of you, then in those situations of life where it is warranted, it will be quickened and the scribe, the householder, will reach into the treasure house and bring things out both new and old. Glory to God. Is that there? Are y'all catching what I'm saying? Seasons, situations in life, you need to know the Word. Come on. You need to know the Word. We've got to change something, church family. We've become the most biblically illiterate generation. We've got to change that. You and I got to set our hearts upon the Word of God. Get it in our heart. Learn to live by the Word. Talk the Word. Think the Word. Meditate the Word. Because the words of life are the words of God. I put this one note. I had really one note here today. And I'm closing with this. Everything that you have seen in Jesus... Many of you enjoyed seeing the life of Jesus in the Gospels. Just see. Everything that you've seen him do or say is in the Word. Everything that we have seen in Jesus is in the Word. So, so let's, let's try to grasp that in closing. It's so important. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, is it expedient for you that I go away? For if I go not away, the comforter cannot come. But when he comes, he will bring to your remembrance all things that I have spoken unto you. John saw the return of Christ, and in the return of Christ, he saw that he had a vesture dipped in blood. He had something written upon his name, or upon his thigh, his leg. It was his name. And the Bible says his name is called the Word of God. The Word of God. So let me establish this with a doctrine that you're going to leave. I'm going to leave you with one doctrine here today. That Jesus is the Word. And so when you read the Word, you're hearing from Jesus. Come on. And so with that, with that, all the, the potential that you've seen in Jesus, people wanted to touch his garment. People wanted to be around him. They said, we've never heard a man talk like this. They wanted to see miracles. Herod, at the time of Jesus' trial, wanted to see a miracle performed by him. I mean, everything that you think about what Jesus has done while he was on the earth, the life potential that he possessed is in the Word, and you and I have his Word. So everything that is done and been seen of Jesus is in the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. That life shines into the darkness, and the darkness does not overtake it. You have dark areas of your life, shine the Word into it. Come on. You have dark, contentious, difficult areas of your life, shine the Word. The, word can, the, the, the darkness cannot overtake it. The light will drive it away. Everything you've seen in Jesus is in the Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. John 1, the epistle John says, Our eyes have seen, our hands have handled the Word of life. Our eyes have seen. Do you know that when you, Pastor Brown, I've just been sitting in my, my chair reading the scriptures. 
You told me you gave me the 40-day plan, and I did. I have a cup of coffee at my side. I turned the news off, and I'm just, our eyes have seen. Our hands have handled the word of life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. In God there's light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God so loves us. His grace and mercy is being made known. Oh, God, if God be for me, who can be against me? God, come on, are y'all with me today? Listen, that takes private devotion to a whole new level because that's the life of the Word. Our heads are bowed, our eyes closed in the presence of God today. It's the life of the Word. You hear it on Sunday morning. I do my very best to convey to you the, the mysteries that God reveals to me.